don't know. He's probably like watching The Office. Like, what do straight men do? You know, they watch The Office. <laughs> they sit in their recliners. They're great. Welcome to Hate Spinnerbait, the podcast where we hate spinnerbait, but we love the Lakeview models. We love Lakeview models. We love a good mall fashion show, um, something that is super pertinent in uh, our Lord's Year 2022, of which we are recording this podcast. Um, Hi, I'm Bethany, one of your hosts, joined as always. I can say as always now because we've done one other episode. (laughs) Uh, Trying to always with Michael Ann. Michael Ann, how are you today? Are you ready to to drive back to Colby and sit in the sand? I'm so ready. I have to tell you one thing, though. There Mm. is a very large bug that has taken (gasps) up residence in my home. And I believe it is currently dormant. But if Mm. at any point it it comes back up into, you know, wants to fly around, I will have to move rooms. I totally understand. Yeah, I did have a like a small ant. It wasn't a big ant, but it was still an ant. I was taking a little doze on the couch this afternoon. And when I woke up, I like, kind of felt like a twinge on my neck. And at first, I just thought like, you know, when you wake up and you're like muscles are kind of getting awake. And I realized, no, it was a little ant that was like biting my neck. And I'm like, ah! <laughs> I flailed. <laughs> and it really the freaked worst. me out. It's dead now, I think. Anyways, we left off on um, chapter three here, uh, where we learn a little bit more about mom's dear friend, Lydia, and Mm -hmm. a little bit about um, Haven's job at the Little Feet shoe store. There is a lot of mall talk moving forward in this novel, and that is one of the parts that does make you go... Ah, this is the 90s. Absolutely. Absolutely. We also meet Carol Clippertson in this uh, chapter, who will be very important to Ashley's storyline moving forward. Ooh, that is very true. Which I have to say, you know, are you, I don't want to spoil anything because we will get to it later, but Carol... Some sometimes I think is a bit of a problem child, but also sometimes I think Ashley might be being a little bit hard on her. A little bit, yeah. I would probably just tell her to not be in my wedding, though. I don't know why. Yeah. I would just be like, it's okay, girl. Just come as a guest. I wish Ashley maybe had slightly better friends. Well, obviously, just to reiterate, I really wish Ashley wasn't getting married, period here at 21 when she's been through a trauma recently and clearly has trust issues and love, which we will get into even more later. But I do wish she had slightly better girlfriends and 
Um, although I believe Carol is like a cousin. Is that correct? Yes, she is a cousin. Um, but exactly, if she had better friends, she wouldn't have to have a distant cousin be in her wedding. Um, exactly. so, yeah, so that's that's a choice. <laughs> it, it sure is. And then on page 39, I have it underlined here. Um, Lewis disapproved of cursing. And it's been a good long while since I've heard any four-letter words snap from my sister's lips. And I have a little note here that says, was this charming in 1996 or was it gross like it is now? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a fair question. Uh, I want to say, I feel like, because again, the way Haven kind of thinks about Lewis and the way I can like Sarah Dustin wants us to feel about Lewis is that he is very kind of straight laced, boring. Um, so I feel like that's supposed to be kind of another sort of example of him being kind of a goody two shoes, boring and like, Oh, he's taken the fire out of Ashley. I kind of yeah. always get the feeling when I read this book that, you know, the way Haven talks about the summer with Sumner, it's a very hard phrase to say. So I hate that that, comes up a lot in this book, but you have to very much enunciate it, that Ashley used to be kind of a spitfire. And I feel like now with Lewis, she's kind of like a fuddy-duddy because he's a little bit of a fuddy-duddy. So I'm taking that as, I feel like that's a little fuddy-duddy, but I don't know, maybe in 1996, maybe like a mom in 1996 reading this book would have been like, I like this boy. He's, he's getting her to stop cursing. <laughs> yeah, the important things in life. Not also, I will say, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and say it. This is, speaking of bad bridesmaids, this is a fun game. Anyone who's gotten married that maybe has played with their spouse, um, you will have this opportunity soon within the next year or so to play it. But I actually, Mike and I were randomly driving. Mike is my husband, for anyone who's not aware. Um, we were randomly driving around town and we, I don't even like know how this came up and it sounds really bad, but like we were kind of like ranking like our bridesmaids and our groomsmen and we're like, who surprised you? Like who really did something wedding weekend that just, and again, we weren't saying anything bad. Like no one, I, anyone in my bridal party who was listening, you all are fantastic. Like literally we asked the most out of you. We asked you to come learn an entire lightsaber duel and I will never be able to thank everyone enough for coming and like humoring me about that. But we were kind of just talking about like there were some people that surprised us, like a couple of Mike's groomsmen because they're friends from out of town. I don't know super well. And I may have had like some kind of preconceived notions about who I thought might be helpful and who wasn't. And there were a few that actually surprised me. So that's like a fun conversation. Just sort of thinking about um, Carol and how she's kind of a difficult bridesmaid. It's also very fun to look back at your wedding one day and be like, man, like that person really stepped up. So there's, there's good in the horror uh, is my point, I guess there. <laughs> I don't think either one of us would put up with a carol. Oh, honest. definitely not. We would never. All right. Getting back into chapter three here. Um, this is when we first kind of get a little little look at Lakeview Mall, which will be kind of become a staple in some of Sarah Dustin's later novels as well. We get to learn about Haven's job at Little Feet. And we also get our first mention. Do you get, is this just me, from Gwendolyn 
Ellen Rogers, kind of like some Boo Radley vibes. Is she not the Boo Radley of this novel? She is. So we get our first kind of discussion, introduction of Gwendolyn Rogers, which first of all, great name. Love that name. 10 out of 10 name. So we get to meet our like few models here. Did you ever go to a mall fashion show? Because I got to be honest, I don't remember that ever being a thing that I did. (laughs) No, I don't. I don't even really remember if that was a thing, period, by the time we were yeah. uh, kids. I don't think so. Mall going I mean, age. Middle yeah, school I, time was probably the time where malls were the biggest in my life. And I do not recall there being mall fashion shows. So either I was unaware. We did have, at like, the high school, we would have a prom fashion show. And they would bring in dresses from like the mall but we didn't do it at the mall like that wasn't a thing maybe it's a north carolina thing i don't know if there's any listeners out there from north carolina did your mall have a fashion show we're dying to know we'll put a we'll put a poll up in our stories on instagram once we drop this episode and also follow us on instagram and also also just be a big fan tell all your friends please um all your friends Come cuddle up with us. Read some Sarah Dustin novels. I will say one thing, though. It does seem kind of expensive, especially in 1996, for a little kid's pair of shoes to be $35. I agree. Is this some kind of luxury brand? Right. I was under the impression it was a Payless. Yeah, that's the same. That's like the vibe I got from it. And like the shoes she discusses... And a later very pivotal scene <laughs> makes it seem like it's just like, I don't know. Yeah, like a pay less kind of shoe store vibe. But they do seem very expensive for night. They seem expensive for today. Yeah, What exactly. are kids shoes going for these days? I don't know. I buy kids sneakers actually to this day, so I should know. Oh, wow. It's been, a, it's been a minute, though, since I've bought a new pair of shoes. Uh, I at least, well, I buy... I buy kids at Target. Not sponsored. Just kidding. <laughs> Target sponsored. But if you want to, you can. You can. We wouldn't be mad. I do buy a lot of children's shoes at Target because I happen to have tiny feet and I fit in them. I have little feet. There you go. That summer. Uh, so I, I have purchased some sandals at Target recently that were kids' shoes. They were certainly not that expensive. The last pair of kids' sneakers I purchased probably bought though were my converse and that's going back like 10 years so which yes I was still legally an adult 10 years ago when I bought them (laughs) in child size but that's not the point a very tiny feet they're cheaper as well so it's like exactly why adult converse and kids converse look exactly the same and I can save a few bucks I'm going to buy the kids converse for sure yeah absolutely any other I thoughts also have a, and feelings? I also have a sticky note here that says, I love that these bro- these books can bring us back to the mall. Yes. I, mall. You know, there is a lot of good mall vibes in this novel. And that does make me very happy. I'm not going to lie. Yes. I can't think of last time I've been into I go shop. Like, Orlando has a ton of shopping. So I'm probably out of the norm for most people, I think in this day and age that I do actually go to physical stores 
to do shopping, but a lot, a lot of things are more like at Disney Springs, like outdoor, like the outlets kind of vibe, more outdoor malls. I haven't been to like a proper mall in years. Um, it's either online or I'm shopping somewhere, you know, again, Target, please sponsor us, um, or going to more of a, a Disney Springs type setting. I do kind of wish we got to see Haven be a model. I thought, I think that would have been fun. Yeah, that's true. We will get uh, some more Lakeview models in an upcoming novel. So everyone stick with us. We'll be talking about uh, a main character that will be a Lakeview model at a certain point. I will say, again, I know we're only on the first novel and I don't want to spoil too much. We're going to get to the other books and, and discuss them in length at another point. But I think that's one of my favorite things about like the Sarah Dessen universe is you do get like little tidbits, like little through lines, like the Lakeview mall and Lakeview models comes up again. And there are certain characters you'll run into. And it's really nice because without having to write a whole sequel, because certain characters, let's say that their stories aren't warranted sequels, but it's nice to be able to check in on them from time to time. Be like, Oh look, they're, they're doing good. They're living their life. They're happy. So that's, I really enjoyed that when she does little callbacks to, to certain things she's established in the past. All right. So then chapter four. So we do talk a little bit about Lydia here. Uh, we've met her earlier already in the novel, but we talked the last episode a little bit about the Florida accent and how we didn't think that was a thing. I do think though that in the beginning of chapter four, when she's talking about Lydia was all color and noise in her bright pink shorts and sequin t-shirts with fringe zooming through the neighborhood in her huge Lincoln town car that seemed to suck up the road as it passed. That is Florida to me. (laughs) The the very, the color and the noise part that 100% tracks. And I was kind of thinking of the, the ladies who wear like the, you know, the Boca Raton moms, the, the South Florida moms (laughs) who wear, you know, like Lily Pulitzer and that kind of stuff. Um, Obviously, I don't think Lily Pulitzer was really a big thing yet, but you already had a version of that even in 1996. Now, like Lily and that kind of stuff is the the trend. Vera Bradley. But... I really like... um, I really like this, these first couple pages. I like that we are talking about the mom and Lydia's relationship. And I don't know if this is, maybe this is because I'm reading this as a 30 year old now, but um, (laughs) I find that just the community that um, Lydia, you know, provides or is part of with um, Haven's mom. Does Haven's mom have a name? You know, I was thinking the same thing. If it is mentioned, it is not mentioned often the dad's name mac is mentioned a few times but i really don't feel like her mom like she usually just refers to her as like her mom if that isn't the way a woman's life is (laughs) i know literally um but yeah i just love that i love that we get to see lydia coming in with all her personality and all her color and all of her experience of being divorced divorced right oh no she's a widow she's a widow alone anyway after you know a marriage has ended technically um and i love that it says within a month you could see a change could see the change you know obviously she's making fun of her mom's clothes a little bit but if you read between the lines there you can see that she's finding herself again post-divorce and she's finding this person to connect with and 
they lean on each other and it's just a really beautiful relationship that kind of sits in the background of this story. I do. I enjoy, I know Lydia gets made fun of a little bit and rightfully so, but I, I really enjoy her. And I think that she's actually a super good influence for her mom. And I do love seeing just, you know, women friendships. I do also enjoy that uh, they talk about frosted hair though, because that does, does take you a little bit into the 90s. It definitely um, does. And I also feel like as, again, maybe because I am reading this as well as someone who has now entered the decade of her 30s, 30, flirty and thriving, that I'm a little offended that the club is called the Old Timers Club. And it the only thing you have to be to be an old timer is 40 or above, which again, 40 does not seem that old to me at the time when I first read this, when I was like 13 years old, I was like, yeah, Bill's old time. Like, I just imagine a bunch of like little, like, I pictured like the golden girls. And now that I'm thinking about it, I'm like, these people are like only 10 years older than me, which is nothing. Um, nothing. So I would like to not be referred to as an old timer when I hit 40, please. And thank you. But I'm sure in 1996, 40, Seemed old, especially if you're Sarah Dessen and you yourself were in your 20s when you were writing this. She was probably like, oh, when I'm 40 something. Now, I don't think she would be naming this the Old Timers Club. But I love the Old Timers Club. I love their vibe. I love that they take Vegas trips and are planning this Europe trip. And I love that Lydia introduces Haven's mother to this. And I was like, yeah, you go, Haven's mom. Go to Europe. Live your life. And Lydia's so right. It's the trip that you wanted to take, you know, when you were in college and young and free and couldn't afford. And now yeah. that you have some, you know, disposable income, it's the time to do it. Go live your life. And again, 40 is not actually old. I would love to find a group like this, actually, that I can travel yes. around the world with a bunch of women. I think that would be super fun, depending on the woman. I would be very into it. Very into it. I also... As someone, it's time for a Bethany anecdote, everyone. Um, as someone who went to a New Kids on the Block concert recently and got to see a bunch of people that would fit in the age group of the Old Timers Club, it's an experience. There is nothing better than a bunch of middle-aged women who, again, when they first probably were introduced to the New Kids, did not have a bunch of disposable income. Like, coming together as a community and living their best life in confetti. So when I was reading about the old timers club, I just pictured all these women at this new kids on the block show. And I was like, honestly, it's a beautiful thing. Y'all it's a beautiful. <laughs> I'm here thing. for it. I'm here for a bunch of middle-aged women living their best life and being friends and going on travels together. And we do see that um, here that Haven is a little bit jealous of this situation, though, as which makes sense because she's a 15-year-old. Yeah. Uh, but she says here that she kind of wants to be able to scoop her mother away from Lydia and the rest of the world and have her all to herself, which is kind of sad. Honestly. That is really sad. I feel like... Obviously, Haven is going through a lot right now, and I feel like she thinks that she's losing her family bit by bit. First, her dad with the weather pet, and then Ashley is getting married, and now I feel like she thinks her mom is being stolen by Lydia. So I totally understand her her feeling of abandonment a little bit, but... Mm -hmm. Um, I am happy that her mom... I does her Seriously, I don't know if her mom has a name, and she deserves a name. I don't either. We're going to have to keep our eyes out. Yeah. I really don't recall seeing it, 
but it may have been mentioned and I'm just not remembering. We do get next to the fact that Ashley is meeting the Warshire clan, which this is another thing in fiction that boggles my mind that people don't know. And I understand that this relationship was very quick and that they do live out of town, out of state, actually. So it kind of makes sense that she wouldn't know them. But why is the meet the parents thing always happen when people are engaged? I find that very unrealistic to real life. Most people 100% know their significant other's parents when they're still in the dating stage. So again, another example, which this, I was like, well, very quick relationship to engagement. They come from out of town. It makes a little bit more sense, but I'm, I'm still... I was still just a little disgruntled by the fact that she's just meeting the family. Yes. And I love that they are kind of um, hoity-toity waspy, and they are from Massachusetts, which is where I am also from, and I find that Yay. hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I they definitely give up waspy vibes, and yeah. that does crack me up. And also, that's exactly the family that Lewis would come from. Like, yes. we are only you know, 50 some odd pages into this novel. So we only know a little bit about Lewis, but what I know of Lewis so far tracks, 100% tracks that he would come from this family. Absolutely. We then get to learn about a little bit more about the Virginia Beach summer. We get introduced to Laurel Adams, who should become important to Ashley's past as well. I also really love that skipping to the end here of chapter four, we learn, well, we start to learn about Ashley and Sumner and the end of their relationship. We kind of got to see the highlights a couple of chapters ago, of the good times. Now we're, we're starting to chip away at the bad times. And I love, 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 because of course, this is how it would happen in fiction. Although honestly, half the time, truth is stranger than fiction. But I love that, of course, it happens on Halloween. Like, it happens as we're going into fall. It's like, oh, yes, the summer love. And then, you know, the imagery she paints with, you know, things are becoming crisper and, and all of that. So we're, we're getting into fall. Fall, of course, is a time of change. And this big change um, occurs. And a door is slammed. And often, this is something also that happens a lot in this novel, that Haven is kind of looking at things from the outside. She's not often included in it, which again is why I think Sumner is so important to her, because for the first time in her life, she felt included in something. So this is one of those times where, again, she kind of sees it from the outside, which is why she only ends up getting, as we'll learn later, she only ends up getting a certain piece of this story and not the full story, because again, it's like she's in her room, she hears the porch conversation. There's so many times in this novel that she hears things through the vent, um, including the initial, you know, divorce news, she kind of hears through the vent. So I just think that's, that's really interesting that this character who, again, she talks so much about her, her body and how she's big and out of place. And, and she, she's feeling abandoned by her family and all of this. And she's often so much of this story is her looking from kind of like the outside in on other things. Yeah, and I feel like <clears throat> this was probably really pivotal to her too, because not only was this the night that Sumner um, was taken from her life as she sees it, but 
she got to go out with them. She got to go trick-or-treating with them. And it says, I felt like I was really doing something, being somebody with them all around me. Um, which is a very relatable experience as a younger sibling. You know, mm-hmm. you're like, I am with my cool older sibling and they're cool friends. And oh, then 100%. She's riding a high and then she just feels like Ashley takes something from her. And this is kind mm-hmm. of where the, the beginning of the end is coming from. Yeah. And I do think that's what makes it even more heartbreaking. It's like you said, like she starts the night, she's with them and they, you know, and then she gets dropped off and everything is perfect at that point in her life, or at least she perceives it to be perfect. And then, yeah, it's like, it's all Ashley's fault that she, you know, dumps Sumner and then Haven's back, you know, not being included and Ashley's not nice to her anymore in her opinion. So it's very interesting that you, she would go from like the highest high to, to such a low, low. Mm -hmm. So I think we're ready to go for chapter five. Yeah. Let's dive in. Or actually wait, before we go to chapter five, I I just want to read the last little bit of chapter four. Mm -hmm. So by the next morning, he'd be gone from conversation, wiped from our collective memories there would be somebody new soon, probably within the week. My sister, Chameleon Lake, would change her voice or hair overnight to match the mannerisms of whoever was next. Sumner, like so many before him, would drop from sight and join the ranks of the brokenhearted dismissed with with a wave of my sister's impatient hand. I think she's also personalizing it because she's feeling like her family was kind of thrown away um, and forgotten about with this new marriage with the dad and the weather pet. Um, and yeah. Yeah, no, 100%. I love the line that, you know, he, by the next morning, he'd be gone from conversation away from our collective memories. That line does always stick with me because obviously it's a little exaggerated. It's not like literally the next day, obviously everyone would be like, he never existed, but right. it would kind of feel like that, especially to a teenage girl, especially at the time, you know, she's even younger. Yeah. Uh, and so it's like one day, yeah, there's this person and he's great and your family is great. And then it just seems like, like that it's gone. Mm-hmm. And I think that's just like the perfect way of summing that up, that it would feel like, and the next morning we just all acted like that never happened. Yep, exactly. All right. So chapter five, chapter five, we get to see uh, some divorced father time. Mm. Our, everyone's <laughs> favorite. Seriously, this man gets we're gonna get in a couple of chapters to the thing that i just think is so well he does a couple things in the next couple of chapters that i just find so irredeemable but even in this chapter i just oh he's just so schmarmy and i can't stand him same yeah he's he's gross and there was actually a line a couple chapters ago that i forgot to mention but it was talking about how haven's mom would be embarrassed and have to apologize for him all the time. And I'm like, ugh, nobody wants to be in that situation. Nobody. Nope. It's horrible. Trust Straight women. It's mom, okay. Though. You don't have to marry them. You don't have to marry them. <laughs> you're dating when you're 23, I promise. It's, uh, trust me, y'all. It's not worth <laughs> it. Uh, so, yeah, well, here we are. We're going out to dinner with dad. We kind of learn about how Thursdays are you know, dad's special night with dinner. Usually it would be Ashley and Haven, but now of course that 
Ashley is very wrapped up in Lewis and the wedding. It's turned into more of like Haven and her dad's time, which again, pretty much turns into because he is someone of a local celebrity, turns into him entertaining other people more than he entertains her. He also, we kind of learn about the fact that when he comes to pick her up, he basically just like sits outside in an idling car because he doesn't, you know, want to go in and, and deal with the mom, which I can understand to a certain extent. Like you massively screwed her over. You probably wouldn't want to go see her, but it's still, it's just such a dick move that he like, can't like, you're the one who messed up. Like, I feel like you have to kind of be the bigger person and like, I don't know, but yeah, yeah, yeah he just, you know, comes, picks her up and they go out to dinner. Um, they're trying Italian this evening which he kind of ends up talking a little bit, um, I believe, about how they need to go hang out with Lorna, her new stepmother, slash the weather pet, um, some more. And Haven, I think, justifiably is kind of like, I feel like I've done my time. Like, I feel like I know her, but all right, dad. And she also, again, another time where she feels a little bit abandoned because Ashley hasn't been at these dinners, so she kind of has to face this awkward conversation with her dad alone when she, you know, she doesn't have her sister as backup with her. So feel for her a little bit there. And then of course we get the return of a certain someone in her life. Um, Sumner comes over as the cheese and pepper boy. <laughs> what a great, like what a great reintroduction to his character. Yeah. Yeah. So, Mom versus dad expectations, especially in the 90s, are insane because what he gets her one night a week for a two hour dinner and the entire time he's talking what? to other people. Her mom would never do that. Moms would there would not be a story where even if mom was the local celebrity, she wouldn't be out inviting people to their table. You know, she would right. be focusing on her kid. And it's just, yeah, the the like especially divorced dads. And I feel like in the nineties specifically as well, it was just like, they're, they're just doing their own thing, living their own yeah, lives. I was just like, what a dick. Like seriously, with yeah. every chapter, I'm just like, what a dick even more with this guy. Because yeah. if this is supposed to be your special, like again, two whole hours, you see your kid a week. And again, this is your fault. You were the reason this marriage ended. <laughs> Just want to point that out again, as if it's not already clear, but just to point out again, that he was, the, yeah, I was just picturing, if this was a mother, I feel like, or again, expectations of mothers in the 90s, if she was only getting to see, like, let's say dad did have primary custody, and she was only getting to see her kid a couple hours a week. Yeah, if someone came up to her because she was a local celebrity, she'd be like, I'm sorry, this is my time with my daughter not right now. Like, well, uh, another time I'd love to chat, but not right now. And this guy's just like, come on down to the table. The price is right. We'll, we'll have a little yep. chat about football or whatever. And ignore, this ignore my poor daughter. Yeah. Like, psh, dick. And yes, but this is the perfect time for Sumner to show back up. I feel like because she's sitting here, she's like, I'm being ignored. This sucks. Ashley's not here. I'm all alone. And then, who shows up but her pixie dream boy, manic pixie yep. dream boy, Sumner. Manic pixie dream boy, he's back, which also what a great comeback for manic pixie dream boy. And he would come back literally as like, Pepper? <laughs> like, mm-hmm. Here I am like mimicking, doing little Pepper toys. Oh, cheese for you, ma'am? And that, of course, she's like, 
doesn't recognize that it's him at first and it's all like oh no i don't need it. and he's like you'll want some pepper and i'm like oh my god the most manic pixie dream boy to ever be a manic pixie dream boy absolutely yeah Let's he see. we also find out in this now that they've reconnected oh we find out in this chapter that he seems to apparently have quite the work ethic he has a few jobs which also just like all these weird eccentric jobs that he has is also just very like man he's like i work mall security i don't know if that's specifically stated yet but we will learn that he works mall security and he like does dancing at like a nursing home essentially yeah. again and it's not explicitly stated in this chapter but you learn that this isn't his only gig he's on a break he apparently goes to school up north he's on a break from college and is thinking about like taking a semester off potentially to to work and whatnot it's the only time i think college is really discussed in this novel um him yeah. being in school because both lewis and ashley well we know ashley what her job is lewis we know what his job is but they never discuss the fact that either of them are in school to my rec uh recollection what is, is lewis's job now i'm not even sure they meet at the mall because he also he's like i don't know probably some boring white dude job no, I'm not even sure. Hers is definitely mentioned because she's the Dillard's, right. you know, like makeup counter girl. But they meet, they first meet at the mall. And I thought it was like they were both working, but then they never discuss again him having a job at the mall. So maybe I'm wrong about that. No, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I'm assuming he comes from money. <laughs> I, that's just I, yeah. I'm assuming. And then maybe there's like a family business involved. But yeah. I don't know if that is just something I made up or if that was real. The vibe that he gives off and the vibe that his family gives off when the mother, because Ashley's mad at him about their first meeting. They talk about, it starts off with like a, the caterer or whatever. And the mom gives off major Karen vibes of like, they're working for you, which I mean, I, that is fair, but, but still like just her tone. Um, I feel like the way it comes off makes that seem like they probably come from money and they look at people as like the help and not like they are human beings. That's the vibe that I get from them anyways. I could be wrong. Maybe they're lovely people. These fictional people. <laughs> they think they're lovely. Maybe we're being too harsh. You're being too harsh. Maybe Lewis comes from a very kind, loving family. I mean, the parents are still married. They've been married for 28 years. So it sounds like he's got a, a fairly nice family. And that's kind of what we get into next is a little bit of their fight. They're in the parking. I almost said the parking lot. They're in the driveway, I believe. Um, when dad and Haven show back up and she's all like, they're fighting. Uh, and that's when we kind of learn that, yeah, the first. Oh, yeah. Here is the talk of the, the caterer. She said something about Sam or whatever, and she was like, if you wanted salmon, you should have pursued it. The caterer is working for you, not the other way around. Her voice was high and nasal, spiteful. She still had it in her. So, yeah, I just assumed that it was probably from money. Yeah. Oh, man, that scene where Haven's dad asks if she needs any money is so depressing. Mm-hmm. No money, just you do not talk to strangers at the restaurant. That would be that would be real swell, Dad. Thanks. 
We also get to see that uh, Haven's dad doesn't even remember Sumner, which is just the first indication that, or not the first indication, but just another indication that Haven really thinks about that summer a lot more than anybody else. Yes. Yeah. It kind of, we never really get to see her talk to her mother about it, but in this chapter, she does talk about it with her dad a little bit, and she does talk about it with Ashley. And you can tell that it clearly did not have, that summer did not have the same effect or great memories of, uh, as much for everyone else as it did for Haven. Haven definitely seems to be the one that's kind of hanging on to it the most. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Any other thoughts on chapter five before we move on to old chapter six? I am just taking a look here at their argument, just double checking. It does kind of seem like they are judging Ashley, but I wonder if they actually are judging her and her family or, or if she's she perceiving it that way. Yeah. Ashley does kind of come off as someone who is very worried about what others think. And I do think everyone is, you know, kind of their own worst critic. And you are very nervous when you are meeting your spouses or your significant other's parent for the first time. I know I certainly was. Um, Mm -hmm. And yeah, especially I think, again, I don't know why like the North versus South comes up so much in this podcast, but there is kind of that, uh, you know, my family being from the quote unquote South, even though Florida is weird, it's the South, but is it the South? That's always kind of the discussion. But you know, my husband's parents being from the Northeast and I, you know, I just feel like there are different kind of cultural and growing up and, and stuff. So you are always kind of worried that like, I think, you know, that Ashley didn't want them to think of her as being like trashy. Yeah. Um, and that's, I, I understand that kind of, uh, you know, feeling and, yeah. and vibes. So now we are on chapter six. Woo-woo. And we see Casey is back. Ah, yes, the friend. Haven's bestie, Casey, she's back. Oh, I have some thoughts about, <laughs> about Casey and and her. Oh, to be young and in love to the drama. Oh man. Mm-hmm. Seriously. To be young she's and to back. Be kissing boys for the first time. Yeah, so you do it, and you. It's is it worth it? Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, am I can now? I'm kidding. Um, another good. This is another thing that I underlined as being like that's so nineties. Is that yeah? Casey is back from camp. She met a seventeen-year-old named Rick, and she is head over heels for him. And she has uh, eighteen packs of pictures double prints all the smiling people pointing in front of log cabins bodies of water and the occasional flag i just love that there are packs of pictures and they're double prints that takes me back to go into the drugstore and get your film developed and now everything's just digital what a bummer (laughs) it is a bummer it is a bummer um yeah i also, I love that she uh, smokes cigarettes now. She comes back from camp and she's smoking cigarettes and she's hooking up with boys. Yeah. She had quite the coming of age this summer. What? Yeah. What are your thoughts on Casey 
and Rick and just all that that entails. <laughs> My thoughts are this. Boys, men ain't shit, okay? And this yeah, guy does, does not, he was like, this is a fun girl to hook up with over the summer, but as we will see, that doesn't last. Um, but there's nothing, yeah. there's nothing quite like being a, you know, a teenage girl and being able to wear your boyfriend's clothes. Hold on. But yeah, she's a little obnoxious. Um, I yeah. don't really think I'd want to be around her myself. I'm being honest. What do you? I feel like this is. I, I think it's a universal feeling that, looking back again now as an adult woman, I can be like, "Oh yes, we all had that friend that was like this." But maybe not. Maybe it's just me. But I feel like it's a universal thing that yeah, you would have that friend who like boyfriend for the first time and just became so obnoxious. And I get it. Like you're young and in love. But this girl, yeah, she comes back and she's smoking and she like is annoyed at her parents because they won't let her talk to this guy. And she thinks that this guy is her everything. And she kind of becomes like a crap daughter and a crap friend. And yeah, like just remember, ladies, this is this is our moral of this. <laughs> this we're probably like five more morals. But just like last time, we're like, hey, if you're an older sister, let your kid's sister go with you and your boyfriend and hang out sometimes. But this is my lesson to any young females out there. Not to be a Debbie Downer, but chances are your high school love, it's not going to last. It's not going to last. So, like, don't be a dick to your parents and your friends about it. Like, just don't. It's not worth it. Your friends are going to be there a year from now. Your parents are going to be there a year from now. That boy is probably not going to be there. So be a good friend and, a like, a good kid. And boys, like, they're so that. not worth it. <laughs> I'm also pretty sure if I remember correctly that – um Casey's mom Casey that's her name right yeah Casey's mom is actually like pretty cool but I can't I, I can't yeah that yet. I feel like I like Casey's mom like I like her parents and I feel like Casey is not appreciating them in the way that she should <sighs> this Rick guy but he ain't worth 15 it 15 years old and yeah 15 year and olds are dumb <laughs> just god awful <laughs> That's most of your teenage years. You're pretty god awful and pretty selfish. And I'm just gonna say, I think you do have a little bit of a right to be selfish. Like it as god awful as we were at that age, it's also god awful being that age. And I just wanted to be known I'm sympathetic to your plight. It's not fun. And you think you're done, like you think you're grown up and you you're like done coming of age. You're like, I'm off. Off to college now. I'm 18. I've got it. And then you're sitting in your apartment crying while eating Easy Mac. What? Did that? No, just me. <laughs> you realize that you are not grown up and you ain't shit. And you have like 12 work coming of ages in your 20s before you finally actually are like, ah, yes, this is life. <laughs> mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. look forward to it, everyone. If you're 15 out there and you're listening. <laughs> First yeah. of all, go listen to Taylor Swift's 15 on repeat because it'll really help you be in your feelings about it, about how hard it is to be a teenage girl. And then just to be a downer, you got a lot more hard years coming, <laughs> but it's going to yeah. be okay. It doesn't necessarily get better. It does in some aspects. It does um, in so many aspects. Boys aren't going to get good until you're like 26, 27. Yeah, it's, it's true. Sorry to... Sorry to burst Sorry. your bubble. 
which again is why I will reiterate, surround yourself with some really good girlfriends and they will be there for you when boys are being really dumb. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. That's my piece on that. Well, I was going to say, like, I definitely had some of this in my youth. Like, I definitely thought that my high school love of my life was the most important person to me in the entire world. And I thought that until I was like 20, the same guy. So like, you know, we've all done like, this. I get it, we've Casey. All we've all done it. We've all, listen, we've all dealt with that friend where you're like, girl, he ain't worth this. Like this is, you're being so extra about this, but we also have all been that friend that all of our friends are probably like, girl, he ain't worth this. You're being so extra. This isn't going to last. Like, calm down just calm down and now I'm the person who I love this is like gonna sound terrible because I love talking about my husband when I want to like when I bring him up when I have something to share but I hate when people like ask me about him because I'm like am I not my own person (laughs) Mm -hmm. we used to to talk about this when me and you worked together I think because we also worked with our our partners and yep. people would always be like oh where's mike where's andrew and we'd be like i don't know i don't know I his trackers on these men like <laughs> drives me up a wall to this day i'm not following him around but yeah yeah i don't i'm not like stalker like love the man but i i'm like i don't know he's probably like watching the office so, like what do straight men do you know they watch the office <laughs> they sit in their recliners they're great, but like that's that's pretty much that's good. So people be like, what does that have to do with that summer? And nothing, really. We'll, we'll find yeah, because Sumner, let me tell you, is a manic pixie dream boy and he is not an accurate representation of a 21-year-old boy. No, definitely not. Again, I also think which when you are 15, like I have to remember that this book is written from the perspective of a 15-year-old girl. But when you are 15, 21 seems so old and so cool. And I remember at one point, Sumner's like, oh, yeah, like, like I'm old now or whatever because they're, like, talking about something in the past. And I'm like, bitch, no, you're not. Like, you're 21. And Haven, of course, thinks, like, oh, yeah, like, he's so cool. But he's not. He's not. He's not. We do learn a little bit about... Boo Radley, <laughs> the Boo Radley yes. of this novel. Get back to to Gwendolyn Rogers and how she's had a nervous breakdown, and she's back in town. Um, just to recap, Gwendolyn Rogers, former Lakeview model, hit it big. She was out there on the cover of Cosmo, living her best life, and now she's back in you know little Lakeview, apparently roaming around like having a full on mental breakdown. Which you know what, girl, same respect. <laughs> I literally, there's a stray cat that lives in my uh, neighborhood. And yesterday I was just sitting on the ground, 96 degrees outside, sitting on the ground, <laughs> hand feeding this stray cat pieces of meat. And I was like, you know, something's wrong here. Um, but <laughs> yeah, I think it is very disturbing, so disturbing and disgusting that she found her boyfriend in bed with a 16 year old girl. Yeah. That's my There are so many men doing really creepy, like pervy things in this novel, like her dad, <laughs> the Gwendolyn's right. boyfriend. And like, yeah, okay, no. So this must be like 
this is gross because she does explicitly say a 16 year old girl, which makes me think like, no, everyone is like, wait, this guy is pulling a Jeffrey Epstein Mm -hmm. or a Prince Andrew. (laughs) The list continues. Um, This goes on (laughs) and on. um, Sadly. Yeah. Extremely. But I mean, if I found my, what I thought was going to be my husband in bed with a child, I would um, also have a breakdown, I think. Yes. For sure. 100%. I also, and again, this is maybe a little 90s. I also like that Casey has to throw in like, and a man, like there was clearly some kind of threesome happening. But I like that when I read it, like that and a man almost seems more shocking, which shouldn't remotely be the shocking part of that statement. It's the 16 year old girl. But, you know, it's 1996. We only had whatever, that one character on my so-called life at this point that was out on TV. I don't even know. Actually, that might be later in the 90s. I'm confusing my 90s. So at the time, something like, you know, uh, sleeping with a man, a man sleeping with a man would have been maybe a little bit more scandalous than it is now. But I was like, oh, that's the part, Casey, that you're concerned about? Because that part is not weird. It's the the fact that he's a pervert and it's he was with a 16-year-old yeah. girl. But, you know, yeah. that's just me, maybe. Full-blown pedophile. Doesn't matter that full, he's Full-blown. Full-blown. Or bi or whatever he's doing. Um, yeah, we, yeah, we don't know how her creepy pedophile boyfriend identifies. <laughs> and we don't care. <laughs> we don't care. We don't care. Because he is dead to us because he's a creep. We also get a little bit more '90s with a mention of uh, Gwendolyn when she was in her supermodel and she was, you know, on the cover of Cosmo and they profiled her and we got to learn what her favorite band was, REM. That seems very '90s to me. I respect it. Um, and the fact that we also talk about Cindy, Elle, and Claudia, um, girls who didn't even need last names, um, girls that could have been our friends by the details we memorized about them, or the girl next door. Which, of course, obviously, she's talking about the supermodels of the time, your Cindy Crawfords and and stuff like that. So I was like, oh, yes, that paragraph just screams 1996 to me. Yeah. Now we know everything about celebrities because we have all the information at our fingertips. Yep. Yeah, we don't have to read Cosmo profiles anymore because all celebrities just tell us everything they want to on their Twitter account. But, you know, yeah, back exactly. in the day, you had to pick up the latest <laughs> issue of Cosmo to find out what your favorite celebrity's favorite band was. I also like um, on page 87 we have a description Mm -hmm. of Mrs. Melvin Casey's mother which includes this sentence here. She wore stirrup pants and a long white shirt with huge gold hoops dangling from her ears. Her eyeliner has, as always, drew my attention next. Onyx black, thick on upper and lower lids, curving out past her eye to a neat flourish that made her look like a cat. That is the most 90s mom I think I've ever heard of in my life. I have to assume that her hair, oh, it's styled in a bob. I was going to say maybe it's teased, but that would have been 80s, I guess. I was really hoping you have like some teased bangs, maybe. Maybe it's a bob with teased bangs. It could be. But yeah, curling down neatly over her shoulders. She sounds great, honestly. Idol. I wish I could be so cool. (laughs) Same. 
Yeah, you know she's like a Long Island mother. Yeah. One hundred percent. One hundred percent. We are now back in the mall uh, where we, again, meet up with Sumner. This is where we learn about his mall security job. Oh, I also wanted to mention that at one point um, they talk about how the five-year-old little brother of Casey is just hanging out on the front porch unattended. Yep. Yeah. That's, again, you know, she's a cool mom, but is she a good mom? (laughs) (laughs) That's up for interpretation. We'll let you decide. (laughs) Of course, Sumner rolls up in a mall security uh, golf cart. Of course he does. I have to assume his uniform is too big for him and he is wearing a ridiculous hat. Oh, yeah. Same, same. Definitely the ridiculous hat. I'm I'm certain of it. Uh, We do have, you know, so we get a little bit more Manic Pixie Dream Boy stuff with Sumner. And then I love who was like, I was born for every job, he said with a smile. And it's like, oh, gag me. But then we do get (laughs) (laughs) at the end of this chapter, we're starting to Haven's, I think, reached her limit a little bit. She's starting to. She hasn't fully reached her limits of, you know, insanity, not insanity, but like all the trauma that she has dealt with recently. But she's beginning to get, you know, if you're looking at a sense, she's kind of going through the five stages of grief. She's grieving her family in this novel. And I think we are definitely about to hit the anger uh, portion soon. Yes. So we kind of get at the the end of the chapter. I just want to touch on this a little bit. Um, I had the sudden crazy urge to stand on the sea and rip every one of them down as we pass. I could almost feel my fingertips on the sheer fabric, smooth and giving as I yanked them from their bases. Speeding through the Lakeview Mall, dismantling as I went. I glanced Vance at Sumner, thinking of how much had changed, with the visions of those tumbling banners still in my head. I almost wanted to tell him, to ask him if he knew how it felt to be suddenly tempted to go wild. But we were flying along, the engine drowning all other sounds, and I let it go, for now. Which I think is your problem, Haven. You keep, like, I, like, well, and we'll get to later, she does, like, have a minor freak out. But I wanted to be like, yeah, girl, freak out. Like, go listen to angry pop punk music, and write in your diary, and, like, Scream into your pillow. Like, you deserve... Maybe don't tear down the banners in the Lakeview Mall. Because <laughs> you could get yeah. in trouble for that. But you deserve, like, a little... Like, she deserves a little freak out. And I think that's no. the thing. Is she's, you know, trying to be strong. And um, and she just needs to, to let loose a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. She just needs to go slam her door and tell her sister to eat rocks. All right. So as... Um, Haven is letting it go for now. We are also going to go ahead and and let it go for now. Um, when we come back, we're going to be full of rage. No, because we are going to do the healthy thing. We're going to go put on like some My Chemical Romance. They didn't exist yet, but that's not the point. And we're going to scream into our pillow. Yes. <laughs> we're going to get on our feelings. And I'm hoping for my girl in these last few chapters, which we will wrap up next episode that she gets to kind of get out some of her feelings and properly grieve her family. Um, yeah. Yeah. This has been part two of that summer and we'll see you. We'll see you next time on the beach. Go grab a, a snow cone.
and shake some of the sand out of my sandals. We'll see you then. Follow us on our Instagram, same handle, hate spinnerbait pod. Um, and that's that's episode two. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much, everyone. <laughs> Thank you for Thanks listening. For